So people of God in Christ, this is now the third sermon in the third part of Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, The third part is about gratitude, about thankfulness uh, expressed by the way of service. Uh, It's not service to be saved, but service because we are saved. Uh, to To the degree that we serve to be saved... To that degree, it will, um, it will require either that we are proud, hey, look what I'm doing, look, look what I can do, uh, or, or we end up in despair uh, as we come to see that we are not really doing all that well. Uh, instead, the Christian must live in gratitude for what already is. And uh, if we will recognize the, the holiness of God, and humble ourselves under the gospel, what a, what a great comfort. Uh, salvation is by the grace of God. Forgiveness is through the mercy of God, and righteousness is the very gift of God. And uh, salvation is full and free through, through Jesus Christ. Yes, but what do I have to do? Well, repent and believe, and uh, there, there's nothing more. Receive the gift and, and then live a life of thankfulness for Christ and the gospel and for the praise uh, and for praise to the God of your salvation. Once again, we start with this orientation. It's important. We need to review it. Uh, this is what the Apostle Paul refers to when he writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I, I, I appeal to you, he writes. And, and, and why not simply write, uh, well, well, here now is what you have to do. Well, because that's not the case. It's, it, it's not the matter of what you must do. Instead, as we understand the mercies of God, our hearts will reasonably be filled with thankfulness for our lives or for our lives uh, through our thankful living. What, uh, what if we are not thankful? That's a question to ask. What if we are not thankful? Well, then we do not understand the mercies of God. Or, or even though we, we know the mercies of God, what do we do? We forget. Uh, and yes, our, our gratitude always flags. Uh, which is why we need the regular preaching of the gospel in the church to remind us to be thankful, to remind us um, of what is ours in Christ, to remind us that death is defeated for us. Uh, The grave will not hold us. Heaven awaits us. And that even now, eternal life is ours so so that we don't have to live desperately. That's what the world is doing. The world is living in desperation. This is what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 6 when he says, do not be anxious about what you eat or drink. It's it's a legitimate paraphrase to say, do not live in desperation because your Heavenly Father knows. Your, Your Heavenly Father is always there. Your Heavenly Father will provide. Even more basically, God is your Heavenly Father. While the Gentiles chase life. Think about it that way. The Gentiles, unbelievers, chase life. We have life, even eternal life, 
So in the same passage, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And Paul echoes the teaching of Jesus when he writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? When we hear that and and, and take it to heart, we are liberated from a a life of desperation, trying only to to stay alive, trying only to get and grab and keep as much as we can. Paul even invites us to live that way. If, if, If we would reject the gospel, he says, eat and drink, because tomorrow you're going to die. That's the logic of unbelief. That's the reasonableness of rejecting the gospel. Eat and drink. Make the most of it. Reject the gospel, and and you've got what? 70 years? 80? If you have the strength, says Psalm 90. If you can manage to live that long. But but who knows when your life on earth is going to be over? And then what? Well, the gospel gives the answer to the then what? Eternal life is ours in Christ. So that the logic of belief, the logic of faith, is to live without desperation, to live thankfully, even to live for the good of others around us. We pointed out last time the the imperatives of of Romans 12, uh, that is the commands Uh, And they are commands, starting in verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast, love one another, uh, uh, outdo, do not be slothful, serve, rejoice, be patient, be constant, contribute. These are commands. And we heard them last time. And what a list. It, It reads like the Ten Commandments. Do this, don't do that. Live this way and not the other way. So we must hear Paul saying, teaching, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. It must not be a matter of law-keeping. It must be the response of faith. It must be the obedience of a faith by which we are assured of salvation. It must be an obedience of gratitude for what is ours in Christ simply by faith, and by faith alone. And so the imperatives continue with verse 9. Reformed uh, sermons are supposed to have three points, right? Uh, So I wrestled a bit with this text to try to categorize the remaining imperatives. And the the first point I came up with was dealing with persecution. Dealing with persecution. Verse 14, I should have said we're starting at verse 14 rather than verse 9. So verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Here is an important command for us to hear because if we would lay hold of the hope of the gospel, it means that we are believers in Christ and those who love Christ Again, in in response to his love for us. But the world does not love Christ. The world, bound by Satan, the enemy of Christ, hates Christ. 
So when I align myself with Christ, then I put myself in the crosshairs of the world. Granted, we, uh, we have things far better, do we not, than many, if not most, of our brothers and sisters throughout the world. But just try a little experiment this week. Uh, as you talk to your neighbors and, and co-workers, uh, talk to them about God. And, uh, and you can even use the word Lord. Uh, even talk to others about the Holy Spirit. Um, they will yawn and accept that you are a kook and, and they'll tolerate you. But start talking about Christ. Have, have you noticed this? Start talking about Christ. Talk about the cross and the trouble will start. It will not be tolerated. Because Christ himself is the revelation of a specific God, even the one true God. And yet here Paul is calling us even to bless those who persecute you. And then he says it again, bless and do not curse them. The fact that he says it twice, to bless those who persecute you, it shows us, well, that it needs to be said twice. Uh, what is the natural sinful reaction when one person mistreats another? Well, anger and a desire for revenge. And what's the fastest way to get to revenge? You give the gesture. You, uh, you lash out by what you say. But Paul says, no, don't, don't do that. Instead, bless those who persecute you. So it's not, it's not even the matter of not cursing, but even blessing those who persecute you. And, and why would you do that? Because whatever persecution you might endure cannot change anything in regards to what really matters. And that's why we need to be clear on what really matters. We need to have our treasure laid up for ourselves in heaven. We need to be taking up our cross every morning saying, Lord, if you give me another day to live, thank you. If not, if today I die, thank you. And let me die for, for you because you have suffered and died and risen again for me. And you have promised that though I die, yet shall I live. You have promised that where you are, there I shall also be in heaven within a new creation forever and ever. Again, the Apostle Paul is, is not teaching anything that Jesus himself did not teach directly from his own mouth in his Sermon on the Mount, as we call it. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's a, it's a pattern in the Sermon on the Mount for Jesus to say, you have heard that, but I say this. And sometimes, need to, we need to understand this, sometimes he's pointing out a legitimate view of the law of God, but then clarifying the meaning of it. 
what is the will of God for obedience in that legitimate law of God. Here, however, Jesus points out not an actual command of God to to be clarified, but even the sinful way of the world. What could be more clear than loving those who love you and hating those who hate you? Isn't that just the logic of the world? But our Lord is calling us not to do that, but to show love to those who hate us and even to pray for them. In other places in Scripture, we are given another reason for loving our enemies, that we do so remembering that this is what God did when he saved us in Christ. Even staying in in Matthew 5, we we hear this teaching. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then this, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In other words, love your enemies. Listen to this. Love your enemies so that you will be like God. The God who loves his enemies because he continues to bless them even as they hate him and rebel against him. Um, Sons are like their fathers. Uh, Sometimes a, a son can't help but be like his father. Um... I was at a funeral visitation uh, in Lafayette on on Thursday this week, and I, I, um, I, I introduced myself to the pastor who was uh, going to do the funeral, and I said, uh, "I'm Steve Rhoda," and he said, "Well, of course you are." And uh, he said that because he knows my dad, and he could see that I, um, that um, I am the son of my father, just by my my physical appearance. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, love your enemies so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Be like your Father. Be God-like. Bear the image of God by loving your enemies and blessing them even as they persecute you. Even further, remember that you were the enemy of God before he saved you. God doesn't just send rain and sunshine on his enemies. He gives eternal life to his enemies when he saves us from our sins. Next, the second category of obedience, uh, I'm going to call dealing with the lowly. Dealing with the, the lowly, because verse six, uh, verse uh, fifteen says, "Rejoice with those who rejoice; weep with those who weep." It maybe shouldn't, but it reminds me of a song. <laughs> uh, when you smile, the world smiles with you. Frown, and you frown alone. You can tell me afterwards if I got that right or not. Uh, I think it was Frank Sinatra, maybe um, somebody else, maybe. Uh, granted, it's easier to keep fellowship, is it not? It's easier to keep fellowship with those who are happy and, and, and successful. With the challenge coming, 
with keeping fellowship with those who are unhappy, those who are unsuccessful in life. But surely that's, that's not what Paul is saying here. The point is to, is, is to avoid at all costs, the starting point is to avoid at all costs, jealousy towards those who are successful. How, how, I would ask you, how good are you at, at doing this? That when someone succeeds, you, you congratulate them. You are genuinely happy for them. I think it, uh, I think it begins, uh, or I think Paul begins to get at this when he writes in verse 9, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Can, can you be genuinely happy for someone who makes twice as much money as you do? Uh, can you be genuinely happy for someone who just had a baby when you're still waiting? Um, can you enjoy your mac and cheese when others are feasting on prime rib? Uh, it's not easy. But what's the key? How, how do we do it? Only by recognizing the mercies of God. Whatever we get or don't get in this short life, we have eternal life in Christ. And here is the great equalizer. That uh, you make far more money than I make, perhaps, or maybe I make more money than you do, but do we not all have together the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness of Christ, eternal life by the gospel of Jesus Christ? So rejoice with those who rejoice, but also weep with those who weep. In the, in the midst of our success, why not, uh, why not stay at the feast? Uh, why not stay happy in our comfort and success? Because that's not what Christ did. Philippians 2, verse 5, says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, held unto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. In Romans 12.15, the Apostle Paul is calling us to be and, and, and to do as Christ did for us. I don't hear it so much anymore, but in our culture there's, there's th- that idea that I think rather secular idea of passing it on or maybe it's pay it forward and as you have been treated so treat others but it's a stolen idea it's stolen from scripture because even as God loves his enemies so we are to do the same and even as Christ left heaven and came to earth so we are to mourn with those who mourn we are to care for the lowly. We are to use to seek in need. And so Paul writes outright in, in verse 16 uh, to this point, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. It's important to see that Paul connects not associating with the lowly, with haughtiness, with pride, being wise in your own sight. So, so we a- achieve a certain level of success, maybe, uh, uh, and we claim that success as our own. Look what I've gotten myself to. Uh, 
uh, well, there can be no doubt that success comes from giftedness. Okay, but where did the giftedness come from? Can we not see what happens as, as we succeed and when we take the credit to ourselves, we end up haughty. We end up wise in our own eyes. I love how that rhymes uh, as it's translated into English. Never be wise in your own eyes. So it takes it takes an intentional effort, and I'm calling you to that. The intentional effort not to be haughty, but to be willing to associate with the lowly. And once again, it will only happen, at least it it will, it will only happen as it should when it's our response, our response to the grace of God to us in, in Jesus Christ. Jesus associated with the lowly. He called common fishermen to be his disciples. He called a despicable tax collector to be one of his disciples. He spent most of his time in ministry in Galilee. We talked about this in the Sunday school hour uh, this morning, he only went up to Judea and Jerusalem when it was requisite to the law of God. And in the end, he only went up to Jerusalem in order to suffer and die on the cross. Do we know Christ? Do we truly know him? Well, then let us associate with the, with the lowly. Let us not be wise in our own eyes. Let us not be haughty as we are happy for others when they succeed, and as we weep with those who weep. Finally, dealing with enemies. To a large degree, this is a return to dealing with persecution, is it not? Uh, those who would persecute us are obviously our enemies, but Paul returns to it, I think, in a different context. Whereas before he was referring to enemies outside the church, here maybe he's referring to enemies within the church. The clue is, is how he writes, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I think he's talking about the church. There seems to be a, a sense of community in, in this instruction from Paul. And granted, we, we, we live every day in the, in the wider community of, of, uh, of our wider communities than just the church. But, but it's so important for us to learn to live peaceably within the church that we not avenge ourselves when hurt within the church. How do we do this? The church should be, should be, the last place on earth where anybody gets hurt. But, as you well know, stories abound of people being hurt within the church. And sometimes more in the church than they are in the world. It happens. It, it, it cannot be denied. But what's our response? The call of God's word is for grace. Even for the deepest of hurts. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Think about what that means, that, that when we get hurt in church, we don't pay it forward. 
uh, uh, we don't take it to the secular courts. First you know, Corinthians six, verses six and seven even says, "Brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged?" says Paul. Why not rather be defrauded? This is a remarkable language and, and instruction from the Apostle Paul because he's calling us to accept the wrong, to bear the hurt, to return good for evil, and all for the sake of peace within the church and for the church's witness for Christ to the world. Another venue for seeking revenge these days is the secular media. Take your grievance within the church to the news media and you have only added sin to sin and done the devil's dealing. Why not rather suffer wrong, says Paul, than to do that? And once again, in closing, what's the perspective? What's the context? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the fact and and faith that we have so much more in Christ than we could ever gain or lose in this short life. If you have a million dollars in the bank, why why should you huff and puff that maybe the the uh, maybe your mechanic charged you too much for a car repair? And the the point is not that we ignore justice, but but at what cost do we enforce our rights and exact our demands and avenge the wrongs that will inevitably be done even within the church? No matter what, put even two people together and there will be sin and wrong and eventually hurt. It is inevitable that at some point I'm going to hurt you and you're likely to hurt me in some way. It's, it's going to happen. And the devil is waiting to work his will. So Paul writes, love your enemies. Leave it to God to judge. Forgive 70 times 7, says our Lord. Quit making it about yourself. Forgive. And be liberated by a faith that not only believes, but also obeys. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Can we not recognize the extreme of that command? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. How, how, how extreme that is, and yet how liberating. And why? Do we do this? Because by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. The point is to, is to witness to the one you love. And, and, you're, and the point is your witness to the world. The point again is, is that by loving our enemies, even within the church, we will be witnessing to the world and to each other the love of God in Jesus Christ the grace of God that we have already received. There is judgment to come. But this is the day of salvation. And we can 
we can witness to the grace of God and to the salvation of Christ as we relate to each other, starting within the church, in love, but also as we relate to the world and deal with even those of our enemies within the world for the sake of Christ. That's what I have. Let's close in prayer. Thank you for your instruction, O God. Help us to hear it and to answer it in faith. Help us to remember that what you have done for us is the call for us to do for one another, that we would be gracious, that we would be merciful, that we would be loving, that we would forgive, that we would not demand our own rights, but, O Lord, that we would um, show love to one another, and as we do so, that um, a witness will be made for Christ, for who you are as the God of love and grace, as we've come to know you in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.